1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy.
2: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we have a special guest for you today. He has been on the show before, about a year ago to this day, and I will let him introduce himself and where you can find him, but I think especially you know him from BleacherNation.com, and that is none other than Michael Cerami. Michael, welcome back.
3: Hey, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. And uh, why don't you uh, run through the, the, the websites, handles, anywhere that, that people can find you and your work uh, right off the bat?
3: Sure. My home address and phone number Absolutely is... Absolutely. <laughs> 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 um, you can could, you could find um, my writing at BleacherNation.com um, and then follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Cerami. Uh, but more importantly, just follow at BleacherNation on Twitter and you know that should cover all your bases. You don't need to follow me.
0: Wow, so I will say, humble, Michael. Michael a great
2: so follow. humble, being modest. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> yeah. No, yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Twitter, Twitter these days, it's a, it's a dangerous game. Got to limit those followers. Maybe you
2: don't want the followers. Yeah, I, I yesterday, if any, was uh, I think an example of that, and. As I was saying to you guys, to to our listeners, just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I had a nice little outline. We've been telling you guys for a few weeks here that we do probably uh, two episodes to get ready for the season before Thursday comes around. Had a nice little outline, ready to go, Brendan and I checking all the boxes, what what follow-up questions do we want to ask, etc., And then the Cubs send Ian Happ to AAA, and you can take your outline and, you know, crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. So that is where we are going to start, and we've had a day to digest this, a day to kind of like hear the reasoning from Joe Madden. We heard a little bit from John Lester on the kind of like veteran thoughts in a position like this. Uh, but again, put simply, Ian Happ, optioned to AAA. He will begin the season there. Uh, the reports from the beat writers coming from Joe Madden that Ian Happ was very much not pleased with this news. Uh, and just to read a, a quick quote from Madden just to kind of introduce their line of thinking he says quote we just want to make sure that he gets down there and really gets a lot of consistent at bats especially from the left side obviously we consider him a huge part of our future but just based on the conclusion of last year and what we're seeing at this point this year we think it's really important to do it this way he also added that in the room he didn't say who it was but the brass that was involved in making this decision came to a unanimous conclusion so there was no dissent amongst this decision to send Ian Hap down. So that's kind of the lay of the land with the move. I think most people would be lying if they said they weren't at least surprised by this, whether they uh, agreed with it or were hoping for it, whatever. But to start things off, Michael, I'll throw it to you. We've had a day to digest this. Uh, what are, What's the, the kind of like gut reaction to this? Is this the right call? Is this a bad call? What are, what are you thinking about Ian Hap uh, going to AAA?
3: The hardest thing that I've had to... Well, while working through this, the hardest thing I've sort of had to come to terms with and, and the hardest thing to, to put forward is that there's so much nuance in this decision that's getting really lost, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, first and like most importantly, I don't think that the Cubs would have bothered sending Ian Happ to back to um, especially during the season in which they're expecting to contend if they didn't have extremely high expectations for him because it's not something you'd bother doing if he is otherwise going to pro- provide the best, the best value to the major league team right out of the gate, which I believe is pretty inarguable. I mean, Mark a might be good. If, and I think I just saw that he won the last roster spot as of now. Um, so breaking news. But here's, <laughs> yeah. It, it was just on Twitter, like right as we started. <laughs> um, and, Right, and uh, but like so, you know, Ian Hap's a switch hitter. He's extremely fast. He can play the infield and the outfield, and he's got some power and patience. And it's, the thing is, like, you're looking at it. This is a season where the Cubs are going to have a tight division. He probably makes the 25 man roster better, but if you're going to, you know, if you're going to keep just the medium to term in in mind, you know, it's it's not inconceivable that you'd rather him start every single day at AAA. To improve upon, let's be honest, the strikeout rate is probably the only thing that they're really focusing in on and, you know, and contact rate in related terms um, to be a better long term, important, crucial core piece. And I say that because um, so often this is this is combined with whenever you bring up Ian Happ, I don't think this is right. Everybody else brings up Albert Almora immediately. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's not an either or thing. You don't like Hap or you like Almora. Like, they're both great players. They're extraordinarily different players from top to bottom. And I I hate that anytime you sort of jump to defend Ian Hap, you immediately get, well, Almora is better. It's like, well, th- first of all, I don't know if that's true, but also, <laughs> I also like Almora. Like, I also think Almora has a position on this team in the future. And I think that the things that he can provide the team in a supplementary role um like like great center field defense and uh are are partially why he might not also get this um trip down to triple a because he had just as bad of a second half offensively as Ian Happ did and has way less of an offensive track record in the big leagues of success as Ian Happ um but his extra skills sort of can play the role of you know fourth or fifth outfielder defensive replacement right out of the gate and maybe they don't see that biggest that bigger long-term fit in terms of a star player with him and i don't know if that's true and i'm not even saying that but Mm -hmm. i could see that as the reason that you send ian half down um not unlike they did with kyle schwarber again at that time when kyle schwarber got sent down he was still probably a better option than i don't even remember who replaced him at the time but whoever that 25th man on the roster was it wasn't an indication that he wasn't as good it's that we believe so seriously in his long-term abilities that it's worth losing whatever we do in the short term that marginal extra value added to ensure that he becomes the player he should be down the line yeah. so that's the it's so nuanced and i hate like that it it almost takes talking it out like this to really get that point across but that's where i fall on on this in general that they see the long-term value in him being a better all-around player and they're willing to sacrifice him not being on the roster now even if he quote-unquote deserves it
0: yeah so i'm like i'm surprised by the timing i think sending hap down for all the reasons you outlined michael makes complete sense and if you we if we just like stratify by league and look at contact rate ian hap had the worst contact rate in the national league last year and he's only about two percent better and Joey Gallo. We all know the reputation with Joey Gallo. So it makes sense. Yeah, send him down, work on his contact issues, his strikeout issues, try to improve his, you know, whatever it is to to get to that point where we're making more contact. Someone like what Chris Bryant did and what Kyle Schwarber did when when they were, you know, up in the league when they first got called up. So I'm not surprised they did that. I, I think I am surprised that they did so five days before opening day. And I I don't know how much stock that the coaches and the front office put into Ian Hap's spring training and performance, but and who knows if we're actually in there <laughs> or if, if this is actually being discussed inside the coaching staff. But to me I, I feel like if this was an issue, if Ian Hap's second half last year and his poor strikeout rate and contact rate was an issue I wonder if they communicated that, and I know they probably did. They communicated those those issues prior to this off season, and Ian Hap just was unable to translate and adapt just in his short term of spring training, and show enough that this is actually being improved. If his if his contact rate has a likelihood of improving, and maybe they just did not see enough for the first three weeks of spring training, which is why they're waiting so late, but. I mean, are you surprised that it took them this long in spring training to make that more clear to Ian Happ?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised, but I'm also, I I think it reveals a bit, and I think you started touching on this. it, It sort of reveals the fact that they must have been unsure of this decision. This must not have been the plan going in. And that means that something they saw during spring training, and, you know, it's not, we always say, like, spring training stats don't matter. It's like, well... They don't matter for like Anthony Rizzo, but if you're like a fringe bullpen guy or someone battling for a rotation spot, or you know someone like us, like Ian Happ, it's. I mean, it's not the stats that matter, but it's your performance. And there's still scouts and the coaches and everybody there watching you. And you know, I wouldn't ever go look at his stats from spring training. Like, oh wow, he struck out that many times, because that's not how the Cubs are making this decision. But the nature of those strikeouts. Um, or the nature of other at bats that didn't result in strikeouts, but still displayed that sort of like lack right, of contact or lack right. of zone management, yep. like showed them that something wasn't right. But it still was very surprising to me. And like um we talked about earlier on, it's like t- if you say you weren't surprised by that, uh, you're you, you <laughs> are lying. I mean, that was that was shocking. It was surprising. Doesn't mean it's. Like a, a bad idea or whatever, but it, it was not expected, especially this late. um And I think that that probably contributed to some of his, his negative reaction. Not only has he been in the league for like a year and a half now, so he probably just assumed that he was part of the team, but I mean, like, we're five days from the start of the season. That, that's pretty wild That last minute cut.
2: Yeah. And so I think that we all kind of had the same general reaction and maybe surprisingly or not surprisingly enough, I think we're all kind of on the same page in terms of like understanding the move and the benefit that can come from uh, HAP. And Michael, I agree with you too, that I think the main point here is that this is about HAP's development, not necessarily that Someone, you know, in Almora or Bodie, whatever, whichever position you're looking at, outplayed him or earned more of a shot. This is about getting a 24-year-old first-round draft pick right in terms of his development and helping him reach that ceiling. And I, in the discussion you guys were just having, it actually reminded me that before this move happened, I was reading, I'm not sure if it was posted yesterday on Saturday or Friday, but there was an article that Jesse Rogers from ESPN posted where he went to one of these games with Jed Hoyer and basically just asked him, I'm just curious, what does the GM of a team look for in in a game like this? Like, well, how do you watch this game? What do you see? And one of the points that was in the article was that they watched an at-bat with Ian Happ, and he swung through and struck out on a pitch that was over the middle of the plate and that he should not have swung through and whiffed on. And I didn't think that much of it at the time. uh, But then, like, two hours later, I'm thinking, like, they— that's the stuff they must have been seeing. They must have seen too many of these at-bats or too many swings where they're just not liking what they're seeing, and and it just has not improved in the way that they were expecting it to. So I I, I think that, yeah, it it was definitely surprising. Um, Not how I kind of had, like, budgeted the roster for, like, opening day. We're looking at some of these last few positions, and this is not really one of those moves that I was anticipating. Uh, But here we are. So uh, sort of a follow-up to you, Michael, given this move and given that we're so close to uh, opening day and that we're still hearing them... We're hearing from uh, some of the beat writers that they are checking in on potential trades or waiver wires, not necessarily for maybe anyone significant, but perhaps to either fill minor league depth or, or finish off this roster just in case certain people are available. Does this move... Give you a different perspective on this off season, or do you do you now wish that maybe certain things had been done differently? And 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 you just said that it it seemed a lot like this was not really something that they had planned on, but that the results were such that they kind of had to get together and say this is the right move. But you look back at this off season now, and and not you know from a Bryce Harper perspective, right? I think we've all moved on from that. But just from a depth perspective, do you look at this team and say, man, like? If this was ever on the table, I kind of wish we were looking at more positional depth uh, and not necessarily the Mark Zagunas types. Or is are you, are you fine with this? And this is just kind of how it is.
3: So this is this is a question I've been tossing around in my head for the last you know whatever 14 hours that this was um, this news broke and and I and I get to a, uh, an argument that I have in my mind a lot that's that's kind of hard to um uh to answer to solve so just like as a broad example you know we generally like to preach like trust the process type thing i don't mean process in terms of like the cubs process but just like if you have a set of you know statistical and scouting uh standards and if you always adhere to them um in the long run even if one or two individual decisions don't work out that's like the better approach to uh scouting and evaluating players um it's kind of like you know playing it by the book when you play blackjack you, you can't just do something because you want to if you always do it by the process you know and your you decision should be right now <laughs> you're right you, you know you have to hit on 16 you You're like, Oh, come oh, on but T S D over but, here <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, and now, so the hard part about that is like, that sounds great, but then you get to a move, um, and like, I I don't, this is just because it's an easy example. It's not the best one, but you look at Jason Hayward's deal and it's like by the book, that probably wasn't a bad call. They were, they were, he was a young, you know, free agent that they targeted who had a lot of value from things like base running and defense that weren't expected to and didn't deteriorate. And they even thought that what from what they saw his offense could have gotten even better now in retrospect that was obviously not the right deal it did not work out and it was bad and now you have to reassert the fact that okay well at the time we thought that was the right process we weren't just like making a an emotional decision this was like by the book the thing to do and then it didn't work out now can we blame i mean it, the guys like theo and jed and Um, jason cloud and everyone else who's in the front office at the time like their job is to know better than the process but you still can only go one way or the other so to bring it to ian happ it's like i don't think they expected him to have a spring training that resulted in him starting the season out at triple a but maybe they should have known that Mm -hmm. and if they didn't know that that might be a, a shortcoming on their part, and then absolutely they needed to address that lack of, a, in my opinion, a, an additional offensive weapon um, who can also pinch run because he's one of the fastest guys on the team, hit from both sides of the plate, in the offseason through free agency, whether they had tight budgetary restrictions or not. It's sort of like your job is to know better than the process, so... I know that we weren't expecting this and I believe that they didn't expect that to happen, but maybe they should have been prepared for that eventuality because not going after, you know, you could say let's eliminate Bryce Harper, even like someone like Andrew McCutcheon, I thought was yeah. a fine fit. Yeah.
0: Um,
3: if you I was fine with that because I was like, well, maybe Ian Hap will work out and he'll be an awesome offensive, you know, uh, addition at certain times against certain pitchers in the outfield, and not getting someone like McCutcheon is fine. So so that's where I struggle. It's like, yeah, I guess if I was, I was, the, you know, the mentality that Hap would have been on the opening day roster and maybe starting a lot, but since it's not going that way, you have to sort of look backwards and make, and like remake decisions that you thought were already done. Right. So it, it's hard, but I mean, that's kind of the job of the GM and the president and all of the talent evaluators is to know when those sort of possibilities could come up, so... Yeah, it's it's tough, and I won't blame them. And I don't think even if they knew eight and a half was going to start, they might have enough budget to get someone significant anyway. So maybe it's all academic, but it's certainly something I've been struggling with.
0: Yeah, it's hard to reconcile for me too because, like for example, the Diamondbacks just signed Adam Jones for Brian Duncin's deal essentially. Um, so Adam Jones is making I think three million dollars this year, and of course Duncin, who was just DFA'd, is making the three and a half. Uh, annual average value. So, for for me, that's very it's very difficult, and it makes you question whether or not there were there were budget limitations that were not known prior to extending someone like Brian Duncan and trading for someone like Brian uh, Brandon Kinsler's five million dollars twenty nineteen salary. So, it's it was such a weird off season, and I don't really know how to interpret it. I don't feel confident really with any opinion that I have because I just like, I don't know what the heck happened over there. It just seems weird to me that you know someone like Ian Happ is getting sent down five days before the offseason in favor for Mark Zagunas. It's like, you know what, man, I, I wonder if this is just so unexpected because it makes a lot of sense to bring in someone like Andrew McCutcheon or someone like Adam Jones for $3 million if they anticipated these things happening. So it sounds as if I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know, tossing ideas around in my head, but it sounds like this was very unexpected and they probably had more confidence that Ian Happ would address these issues going into spring training. Unfortunately, it did not pan out. But in terms of my confidence in like the overall outfield structure and just the offense in general, I still have a lot I still have a lot of confidence that a lot of these guys in this current group can get it together and be an extremely productive top five offense, even in in major league baseball. I still think it's, that's within the realm of possibility.
3: I, I really don't want to overstep how much I still believe in Ian Happ's bat because not only, I mean, and not just in the existence that it's already been, but in its ability to improve. Because he has that sort of power patience combination that yeah. you kind of can't teach. But more importantly, his strikeout issues are. Um, almost entirely contact based. So the, the way that you strike out is you have poor pitch, you strike out you know abnormally a lot. You have poor pitch recognition skills and you have poor contact rate skills. Javi Baez when he first came up to majors had both problems. Mm-hmm. and that's why we really thought he was never going to succeed. It was he couldn't recognize great pitches and he was swinging through pitches. Ian Hap has great zone recognition. I mean his walk rate has been insane. Specifically because of that, he needs to work on what I think is the um easier of the two problems to solve, and that's with a huge grain of salt, because obviously it's not that easy, but is just a mechanical flaw that he's gonna probably have to dial back his um uh the plane of his swing because he was one of those guys that really bought into the launch angle revolution when he was in the minors and it sort of unlocked a lot of power for him right when he hit the right. double A level. And, uh, so he might have to cut back on that and maybe you'll see a little bit of power evaporate, but he had so much that I think he can still be an overall useful player. But that's why I'm encouraged by the sort of issues that he's going to be taking on because they're mechanical in nature. They're actual changes in nature. He can't, it's so much harder to train your eye to better understand pitches than it is to put your elbow lower. I mean, that's obviously an oversimplification, (laughs) but you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that he'll be working with. So I still think that he has a great chance, and like you said, the Cubs' overall offensive you know, uh, potential is still so high. I mean, so someone like Kyle Schwarber could easily take a step forward this year and completely transform the offense as long as Rizzo and Bryant are doing their thing. One more significant bat, I mean, that is a big deal, you know, so –
2: yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's where I want to go next um, on the offense as a whole. But yeah, just to to wrap up on hat, That's kind of a, I think like uh, the end of uh, you know maybe like specifically that discussion. But I, I'm with you guys on that. I think that the hardest part for me over the last day has has really been kind of like you were saying, Michael. It's like rec- reconciling how this offseason went, and and especially like what we heard from this front office and 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 throughout this off season about the talent over production and the internal improvements and stuff like that and you know like obviously the the accountability comes into play yesterday, but you are kind of thrown for a loop like trying to reconcile like this, like, okay, like you've been saying like internal improvements, it's coming from within, but you just like sent one of them to to Iowa. So if that was the plan, like I I, I do have to like take a minute to kind of gather my my bearings here on like what exactly uh, is happening here. But yeah, I, I also agree that the important thing is Ian Happ and that I, I don't think can be really stated enough. He He's a, a young guy with a ton of talent, a ton of intangibles that they need to get right. And, and this is ultimately where they have landed. And I don't think any of us necessarily expect this to be a long stint down there. So uh, we could see him back soon. And hopefully he, uh, like some of the other players that have experienced this with this organization, hopefully he's better for it. But moving to the offense as a whole and i do want to kind of like stick on that theo epstein press conference to kind of like frame this question but we we heard him at the end of the year after the cubs eliminated by the rockies and you know we we've we've run through that gambit a lot on uh this podcast about you know the the scoring one or fewer runs in so many games, the inability to score more than one in those uh, three of those last few games against the cards, the Brewers, and the Rockies, and so we we kind of know the drill, but thinking about theo 's comments specifically that the offense broke, that it was you know a mess at times, and that they were going to make the changes they needed to make, and you know theo even talking about how that included looking at you know myself and my front office group and and the work that we 've been doing. Where are you on, we start the season on Thursday against the Texas Rangers. Where where are you on that this is a group that is going to produce different results? We've seen not a lot necessarily in the way of external change. Obviously, you have a new hitting coach in Anthony Iapose, you have Daniel Discalso. we may, you know, see the Cubs break camp with Mark Zagunis on the bench instead of Ian Happ, obviously. But beyond that, this is the same group. So are we going to see something different than we just saw? And don't forget this podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. The ticket industry hasn't changed in a long time, and there are a bunch of big companies who have been around forever but don't really care about making the experience easier for the customer. Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first. With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the app store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on an interactive seat map, so it's simple to find what you're looking for. Green dots are good deals, and red dots are overpriced. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I actually have the SeatGeek app and just used it today so my friends from college and I could get tickets to see our Michigan Wolverines in the Sweet 16 this week in Anaheim. It's by far the best ticket experience we've encountered, and we know we got them for the best price. Best of all, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek supports the Cubs Related podcast, so be sure to support them too. Use our code CubsRelated for $10 off your first Purchase on concert tickets, sporting events, comedy shows, and more. Again, that's code Cubs related for ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase.
3: Well, I think uh, I think you know taking it by quickly by a case by case basis among some of the more important players. Like, I think Anthony Rizzo is going to be the same consistent guy he has been for the last five plus years. I think that at a certain point, you just have to trust that he'll get there, whether it's eventually or right out of the gate. Um, I think Chris Bryant will no doubt be a better version of himself than he was last year. And I mean, I'm sure you guys remember how absolutely scorching hot he started this season. He was on pace yeah. to have a much better year than he was had ever had. So I know. we'll see if he returns to that I know it's, it's almost <laughs> sad to think about it. it. I think we might've talked about it last year too, about how I was waiting for Chris Bryant to have that. Like, obviously he's had MVP season after MVP season caliber. Um, but I was waiting for him to have that like one unique standout season like that Bryce Harper 2015 that Mookie Betts 2018 like that year where he just like takes everything to a whole new level. And I think that we saw the start of it last year before he hurt his shoulder which is a bit of a bummer. But so Rizzo and Brian are sort of like your fixtures that I'm not concerned about Wilson Contreras if he is more properly rested. I think there's no reason to believe he can't be the guy that he has been for the entirety of his career which is a very good big league hitter, not just for a catcher, just in general, r- r- roughly like 20% better than league average. Um, but I think you get into some of the biggest questions, which is Javi Baez. I think he's going to be a much better hitter than he was um, for the whole start of his career. And I also think people are not necessarily prepared for the fact that a lot of his um, shine last season at the plate offensively was result-oriented, like like very good timing in terms of driving in runs and winning games. And I hope that some of that um, keeps pace. And he did show a lot better contact skills um, in terms of just his batting average. He was still actually swinging through a fair amount. He just swung a lot and sort of found the right balance for him. So I, I don't know if I necessarily expect him to have another 130 weighted runs created plus season. But, like, you know, you, I think he'll be an above average contributor offensively and then still everything else way above average, of course. And then there's like Ben Zobrist, another guy who had a really great year offensively, but he's thirty-seven or eight now. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah. At a certain point, it's like you can't just keep expecting him to be as good as he always or as he was. And also he's gonna need more time off than he has in the past. So you sort of have to bank on guys like, you know, Daniel Descalso or David Bodie, like really showing up when they're the fill-ins. Um, and then uh most importantly, I think the key to this. Entire offense is going to be Kyle Schwarber because he has probably the highest variance in terms of um, he could just be a solidly above average, you know, hitter against righties and like average to below average against lefties. Or he could be as good of a hitter as Rizzo and close to Bryant. And then suddenly you have three guys that are like core all-star caliber offensive contributors. And that can completely change everything. For this team, because if Kyle Schwarber is just another guy that has to be cycled in and out based on the matchup or based on the right day, um, the offense is a little bit more limited. But if he becomes that guy that it's a no doubt, of course, he's the guy you want up at the plate every time type of player that I definitely think he can be. Well, then it's it's a whole different story. And the Cubs offense might just go from, you know, top 10 to top three. Um, so there's a lot of questions. There's no doubt about that. But they definitely have the pieces have an elite offense I, I do believe that you know wholeheartedly um mm-hmm. and as long as i guess there's like jason hayward too which is a hard a hard case to talk about <laughs> well just because i mean if you I mean, he has improved each of the mm-hmm. last three years which is like okay well what do you do with and that he looked like actually i don't pretty
0: decent until he had that that injury uh for God, yeah. i forgot it was like what early august or whatever last year he looked a little better
3: yeah, and and it's and it's tough too because he also he sort of breaks the way I like to start to see early signs of people turning things around, just like checking out their contact rate because he has a he had a pretty high hard hit rate, mm-hmm. but so many of his hits were going just straight into the ground, so a hard hit rate with a sixty percent ground ball rate is not really worth anything. But it's so so it sort of clouds the whole picture. But I mean, if he just became a league average hitter. That's that's another with his glove and right field, which I don't believe took any hit last year, despite the advanced defense, defensive metrics suggesting otherwise. That's a really valuable player. I mean, if he had a hundred weighted runs created plus with his glove and base running, he's probably a three three and a half win player, which is huge. I mean, that that's great. Yeah, Michael, um, especially relative to where he has been.
0: Yeah, Michael. So I have like three main. Not concerns, but three main interests for the offense going into the season. So, I want to get your feedback uh, on these three uh, topics. The first one is uh, Hobby biases like projection, right? So, you are mentioning that you don't necessarily expect him to have that one hundred and thirty WRC plus, and I like I agree with you there. And I look at his projections, and you have like Zips who is projecting a three forty eight Woba, a one eighteen WRC plus, and that looks pretty good. And the, the thing with me and Javi, and I mentioned this on our last recording in terms of talking about extensions, and for someone like Javi, his, his age curve kind of worries me in that his hyper-aggressive approach, swinging at pitches outside the zone, that contact rate below 70%, th- those are kind of concerns for me. But at the same time, he still improved even with that, that same approach, right? Like even last year, we know he and Shelly Davis worked on quieting his swing. We see that with a little bit more of an open stance, the bat resting on his shoulder a little bit. And that translated to Javi recognizing those zone pitches better and eventually ending up second in MVP uh, voting. So my my first topic and question to you is, how do you see Javi continuing to improve? Do you see him like taking that next step and improving his like outside outside his own swing rate, or do you just kind of see him owning this current role right now and staying where he is?
3: I, I think that those projections that you mentioned at the very beginning are probably close to reality, and I mean that in a good way. Um, and I and I also think that he might not take a step uh, forward in terms of approach, and I also mean that in a good way. Right. Um, the short. And The short explanation to that is the Cubs learned a very hard lesson with Starlin Castro about trying to apply a one-size-fits-all yeah. approach to hitting. And I think they started doing with that with Javi Baez, but finally stopped. And last year, we saw the benefits of not doing a one-size-fits-all approach. He didn't have a great contact rate. He swung a ton last year, but he still succeeded in his own way. And I don't know if I want him to take a step forward. I don't know. It's not that I like. I don't like. Would I not love to see him come out of you know the first half like a ten percent walk? well, of course. But not if it sacrifices his power or you know his his. I don't want just not just home run power, but like gap to gap power. He used the uh, the other side of the field a lot more. There's other ways he can improve that are not the the standard way we like to think about, which is just him stop. Playing away at that low and away slider like that might always be a part of his game but that might also be okay to always be a part of his game for him specifically and his unique skill set so again even if he's not the 130 you know wrc guy he was last year um that's fine and i think it's probably more likely than not that he's in that 115 to 120 range but that's he's still an excellent excellent super valuable player in that respect right and all the things that led him to his MVP uh, runner-up uh, voting were were things that I'm perfectly fine, including in that sort of contest, like 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 you know picking who was the second best player last year, like RBIs and runs driven in and home runs. Those sort of counting stats that are dependent on other players or other things outside of a player's control. And I, but I, that's what I don't think. Is necessarily a given to be replicated because those sort of things again are outside of his control and and aren't really uh, reflective of the sort of player he is. To put that a different way, if I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm guessing a lot of the numbers that that Baez put up last year that we wouldn't say are predictive, like RBIs, are pretty close to like what Bryant posted in his MVP season. Mm-hmm. But there's no question that Bryant's MVP season was a lot better than Javi Baez's season last year. They're not equal things. And I just, I, I, I get concerned that some Cubs fans are expecting the world from him again, and, and that might not be fair, and also not necessary for him to be super valuable, you know, because I love Javi Bias. I want him to stay forever and everything from top to bottom. He's, I think he's the greatest thing. But I, I do think he created some on, uh, you know, just, just some difficult to reproduce numbers, and I think a lot of fans will be expecting that. And I, and I don't think that, it will go that way
0: yeah and back to like what you're saying with a one size fit all approach for hitting with starlin castro and that was my my other like central theme of these remaining two topics i wanted to get your input on and for kyle schwarber is 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 one of them we are hearing that he's going back to a little bit more of like a crouched stance to to the level that we saw when he was first called up and when he got drafted out of indiana actually and we're seeing that in spring training. He looks, you know, pretty good doing it. And he's incorporating the crouch stance with his limited pre-pitch movement, which is encouraging. But that kind of, that kind of is following a theme that, that I think we're seeing in spring training of the Cubs getting back to their roots and allowing these guys to kind of be who they are. And we're seeing that with them bringing back Anthony Ioposi, uh, with promoting Tommy Hatvey from the pitching side of things. And we're seeing even Alberto Mora, who's my third topic. Um, Going back to even his like draft days of having a little bit higher leg kick and a little bit more of a crutch stance as well. So with that in mind, I, I I'm encouraged that they're allowing their their players to essentially kind of revert back to what made them comfortable. And so I think with Chili Davis and even with uh, John Malley to a degree, is they tried so many different things. And for some players, it it did work and it did progress their careers. But for some other guys. Maybe that wasn't the right way to go. So with that in mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just with 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 that in mind, I kind of want to get your thoughts on what you expect from Schwarber this year, and especially Elmore, given that we're seeing him look pretty good in spring training. Not just from like the number side of things, but watching him, he looks good. He's hitting the ball from gap to gap, driving the ball against righties. To me, that's encouraging, Michael.
3: Yeah, no question about it. Um, to to tackle one at a time, Schwarber. Um, I, I am as high on Kyle Schwarber's, uh, short, middle and long-term offensive potential as anybody. I think, Mm. I think he has a lot, um, to offer. I think he, uh, too quickly, uh, and, and because of his own type of production fell into the, and frankly, if, if we're being honest, because of how he looks and how he used to look, especially when he was a little bit of a bigger guy, um, people just, they they put him into this category of he's a lefty slugging power hitting corner outfielder, but a lot of people forget that when he was first drafted, the front office was uh, raving about his ability to be a complete hitter, a total hitter, a guy who would hit for a high average, possibly the highest average of anybody on the Cubs. And um, at the time, and you know, it's basically the same group of characters. Uh, so I really think that getting back to his sort of uh, draft day college um, early career stance and uh, approach at the plate might hopefully uh, unlock what the front office saw at that time. And I also think that a little bit uh, the nature of the way the game worked for him and the way the game has been trending with this whole launch angle and power above all else thing was just a bad timing uh, coincidence for Schwarber, who probably got swept up in that a little bit and changed a lot about who he was as a hitter um, to fit that mold. So if he is truly going back to that stance, which we've seen the crouch, and um, if you look, if, it's actually funny because when you see a lot of like when you see him taking batting practice or in spring training games, I'm like immediately transported to, you know, 2015. When <laughs> yeah, first, so much. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's what he used to look like all yeah. the time. And uh, so, I, I am I'm I'm pretty optimistic. I think he can. Um, even though he was a good player last year, I think he had like three and a half WAR. He was a, like, 114 or 115 weighted of runs credit plus guy. I think he can easily take a step forward and do it in the sort of way that convinces all sorts of fans because I think he could hit 290, um, and I think he will he has the potential to be one of those guys that gets on base, you know, with a number that starts with a 4 and slugs over, like, 530, 540, 550. I really think that that's the sort of guy he could be as soon as this year, but we've also... It's like we're getting to a point um, to mirror... Epstein's you know lingo it's like he's got to like prove it at this point he was a good player last year he doesn't have to prove that he belongs on the team he belongs on the Cubs if every single hitter on the Cubs was Kyle Schwarber last year his production would have made the offense extremely good I mean that's not what I mean but I think if he ever wants to shed that just a slightly above average contributor type of uh nomenclature he needs to sort of put it all together and this will be a big year for that hopefully the swing change matters almora on the other hand is like one of the most confusing (laughs) players to me because he's so atypical from what the cubs drafted and developed and targeted in pre-agency since they drafted him in 2012 he's like that high contact guy who doesn't have a ton of power obviously he's a center fielder so that's not something you expect from him but i just don't ever see him being the sort of guy that gets on base a ton or hits for a ton of power, but he also doesn't have to. If he if all these guys just become the best versions of themselves, he's a guy who could hit a ton of doubles, maybe some triples. He's kind of slow, I'm, I think, actually, so maybe not a ton of triples, but I think he's the sort of guy that can hit for a higher average and um, absolutely demolish lefties, and if he could just get that production against righties up to the league average or a little bit better, then he'll be a super valuable player, too. I just am not... Um, as high on his bat in isolation, but it also doesn't matter because he's such a great defender and he offers so much with his glove that it balances that out a bit. Um, I honestly, though, I, I really don't know what to project for him offensively because he's at times shown the ability to hit right-handed pitching and at other times makes you feel like he might never be able to do it. Um, if that changes, you know, especially early on, that can unlock a lot for him. And, and so, I mean, the key is it's not, it's not any one thing. I don't want to just see him start hitting the ball in the air more, or see him hit him for more power. I just want to see him improve against righties, even if not in results, but in just the comfortable in his comfort at the plate against those pitchers. Cause you know, there were times last year when he would come up against righties and you would just, you'd watch the, the at bat sort of like you do when Javi would, you know, swing at those low and away sliders. Like you knew what was coming. You knew what was going to happen. That's just it. Just became the default uh, uh, experience when you're watching against righties, and then at the same time he was killing lefties. So it sort of leaves you in a really awkward spot about when to play him. You kind of had to pick your battles. So I wouldn't be surprised, um, especially uh, to see the Cubs playing Elmora against those reverse split righties. So last year Madden started Elmora against almost all the lefties. And I also noticed that every time he got a start against a righty, it was a guy who had pretty significant reverse splits. And I think the idea is not only is that obviously an easier at bat for him, so you're sort of setting him up for success, but it also helps him get extra looks against righties that he's not otherwise getting as a part-time player in whatever capacity that would be. Um, Getting extra looks against these righties to get more comfortable um, just with how they deliver to him, how they attack him, how they approach him. Uh, and that is a little bit of a safer environment because he has a better chance of success, which you know adds to the whole uh, the whole collection of problems or you know potential uh, future successes. So I would look for him to start against a lot of reverse righties, and then once you start seeing him get starts against regular righties, is when you could start to believe that the front office and/or Joe Madden is beginning to see the sort of things that we might not be privy to, just because we're not in the clubhouse um, or talking to the coaching staff. That they might see um, is improving. Like the the key fundamental things that we that just isn't obvious to us. As mm-hmm. soon as he starts getting those at bats against regular righties,
2: yeah. So I think that uh, it seems like we're all kind of once again. Uh, I don't know whether to be surprised about that or not surprised about that. I, I don't know. Sometimes I guess just, just expect we'll find somewhere to disagree. But I, I think we're we're all kind of on the same page on this offense. And 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 just throwing my two cents in there back to like the, the, the original framing of the question, I only framed it around Theo's end of the year press conference, not because I believe that the offense is going to perform poorly again, but just because his words were so harsh and we didn't see a lot of movement. And I, I think it's just a, an interesting question going into it. He he was pretty harsh on this team at the end of the last year. And, uh, but I, I do think like we have said this all off season, the most important thing for me is that chris bryant is healthy and that is a drastic change for this group i'm not sure what happened uh like in parts of last year when he was hurt especially in in us a, a minority but a, a certain portion of the fan base that just does not properly appreciate how good chris bryant is and like you were saying michael doesn't seem to even have noticed that he was on pace for an amazing amazing season so that's that's the most important thing but but last question on the offense and just give me a name and maybe you've already gone through this but if I could tell you right now if I could kind of like play you know psychic or, or whatever for a moment and I could tell you right now that one player is going to succeed in a certain way or, or something is going to go right for a certain player that if you knew that now you would say, I am extremely confident in this offense now that I know that that's going to happen in 2019. What, what is that?
3: For me, it's, it's, uh, Oh gosh, I was about to say my answer. And then I had a second thought at the last (laughs) second. Let me, uh, you know, you're supposed to go with your gut. You gotta go with your gut. (laughs) Okay. So I'm, I'm going to say Kyle, Kyle Schwarber. And I am only going to say that because I think, I already believe, I believe in more in Wilson Contreras' ability to bounce back offensively. I figured a, that was your second one.
0: I figured that was your second thought. Yeah. Because la- if, if I remember correctly, last year that we did this episode, you, and I was right there with you. Like we said, like Wilson could be an MVP candidate just because he has that unique combination of not only being a good hitter for a catcher, but possibly being one of the best hitters in, in the league and combining that with his defensive ability. So I knew you were going with that, Michael.
3: Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, I just believe Contreras is going to get back on track. So I'm more willing to take. If I had this, like, the certainty is like, yeah, give me Schwarber. If Schwarber is for sure going to make everything to his, you know, reach his potential, his realistic potential, even, um, and you can lock that in now, then I believe the offense will be, will be set because that's how uh that's like i said he's got that really high variance i mean it could just go it could go from as high as the highs get to you know what we've seen in the past so he's he's got to be Kyle Schwarber is the guy
2: yeah that was my answer too uh I, you know and and really it's just like i expect Rizzo to do his thing if Chris Bryant is healthy which we seem to have every indication that that's the case he'll do his thing you know, like like you guys, I'm not positive where I'm like expecting Javi to be. I definitely have not like raised my expectation like you were talking about, Michael, but I expect him to be very valuable nonetheless. So if you told me right now, and that was actually when I was coming up, this was part of the outline before Ian Hap kind of ruined uh, my, my initial plan. When I was first coming up with this, those were my two answers. Like if you could tell me right now that Wilson Contreras Is the player that we have seen at times, where he is just red hot at the plate, doing his thing behind the plate. I I feel amazing about this offense, and I think the same about Kyle Schwarber. If he gets closer to that ceiling, is the player that Theo has always talked about. uh, You know that you just throw him out there, let him hit, and don't worry about anything else. I I feel incredibly confident about this team, but I want to move uh, at least to a little bit to the pitching staff. We have. I, I you know I think like everybody uh, on this podcast talked a lot like way too much about this bullpen so I, I kind of maybe just want to look at the pitching staff as a whole but the, the the first question I have for you guys is the only. Real difference we see in the offseason, obviously, with the starting rotation, is picking up the option for Cole Hamels at uh, $20 million, and we kind of glue together the rotations from the halves last year. So we take Hamels in the same rotation and, you know, basically the same group. So as we go into the year here, obviously, you've got two 35-year-old left-handers in the mix, you've got what appears to be a healthy you Darvish, uh, having, of course, uh, you know, worked through this minor blister scare that's, uh, you know, I think nearly gave everybody a heart attack for an hour or so. But what what are your expectations for this rotation? I do do you see them as a group that has top you know third or so of the league potential middle of the road or are you kind of cuz i i do see this in some places like the 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 largest concern of some um you know amongst writers bloggers fans is placed in the rotation do you think that there's potential that this is a a, a group where the bottom falls out where are you with this this five man group as it stands right now
3: i i'm going to try to learn From my mistakes last season. Um,
2: (laughs) We always say that, but we never do. I I know, right?
3: (laughs) I I think very strongly that this rotation has the potential to be one of the best rotations in baseball. And I, I also think that it could go a completely different way than that. Um, I I know that that's and, and I, I'll be even more specific because that was that wasn't good enough. Um, Screaming the hell out of me! I think they could off. be. No, I, I think they <laughs> could be the top. I think they could be a top three rotation in baseball, like no question. I think that that's possible. If you don't think that Kyle Hendricks um, and Jose Quintana as the younger guys can do the sort of things that we've seen them do in the in the very recent past, um, I don't think you're right about that. If you don't think John Lester can still find a way to. Get the sort of results that he needs, despite you know dropping fastball velocity or just aging in general. If you don't think Cole Hamill is capable of doing what he did during out the entire second half of last year, and you don't think you Darvish is as good as you Darvish has been, I mean, those all five of those things individually could happen. And if all of those things click, which when does that ever happen? Of course, that's not you know, but that's the sort of potential that this rotation has It's very, very good. One through five are guys you would want to start for you in the postseason. That's just, like, the nature of their names and those careers. Um, I also think there's, you know, just a considerable amount of risk. Cole Hamels and John Lester are old. I mean, they are. And they both have, were great last year for different parts of the season and different reasons. But, again, at a certain point, you can't just, like Ben Soberst, you can't just count on it. You can't just count on them being good. You Darvish, you know – you hate to say it, but it's like maybe he gets hurt again. I, I don't know if this the, the nature of his injury is as um, uh, in the past as any other injury, and I'm not saying that speculatively. I'm just saying I, I genuinely don't know if he's at risk of re-injuring something, and if that happens and he falls out of the rotation again, then obviously changes a lot. Kyle Hendricks, who you might believe in the most, sort of plays with this flirtatious line where if his fastball drops – from like eighty eight, eighty nine to eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty seven, suddenly the effectiveness of his changeup completely gets neutered and he's no longer the pitcher that he is. So and 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 Jose Quintana, who I've whom I've long supported, um, you know, has shown to be a useful rotation piece, but it hasn't quite been the guy he was with the White Sox, which is, you know, let's say number two in the rotation, you know, or general production. So it's so hard for me to 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 not be excited about them because by their names, by their careers, by what you see as their ceiling, this is an excellent rotation. Um, but by what we've seen, you know, even the, in the past year and a half, and based on the own, my own experiences looking at a rotation like the Cubs had uh, last year, I, I just I'm I'm reluctant to to believe, so to speak. I, I I see it. I see the potential is there. I'm I'm willing to look at it and acknowledge it. I, I just can't buy in until I see that you know Hendricks has his fastball, that Darvish is healthy, that Lester is pitching, is throwing as hard as he usually is, that Hamels didn't just have a complete random blip in the second half of last year that is no longer repeatable, and he's not the guy he was you know when he was younger. Um, the, until those things are, are are on the field, I I can't commit to anything more than you know cautious optimism. But um, I will. You know, just sort of uh, 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 booty or mitigate that comment with the idea that not every rotation in baseball, even ones for contending teams, has that sort of potential. So that is mm-hmm. rare for the Cubs, and mm-hmm. that is a very exciting thing. You can't look at every rotation and say one through five. That's those are guys I'd want starting for me in a playoff game if everything was going right. Even if everything was going completely right, you wouldn't necessarily want that guy as your pitcher. These pitchers, each individually have, like, number two in this points in their career. Like, number two, I mean, maybe a few of them could be, like, you know, uh, not not aces in, in the broader MLB sense, but maybe, like, staff aces um, potential. And that's not, again, that's not something every team can say. So there is reason to be excited, but I'm just going to be so cautious about it because of the way things happened with Tyler Chadwood last year and you, Darvish. And, I, just, you know, I just – I can't do it again. I can't. I can't let my heart believe and then let it get crushed.
0: Yeah, like Michael, you uh, you just made my palms very sweaty because you it, this very well outlined all my nightmares uh, about this pitching staff. So uh, I, I kind <laughs> of thank you for that. I, I don't. I don't know how to feel about it, but like, yeah, sorry. I, I, <laughs> I share all those concerns with you. the The two points that i most encouraged about this spring training. Um, that address those concerns are, one, Quintana looks pretty good. Uh, in one of his stack cast measured starts this spring, he was throwing on average like 92.5 miles per hour, which at the onset of last season, he was throwing around 91, which scared the heck out of me. But mm-hmm. that's not really why I'm encouraged about Q. It's more so his like willingness to adapt more of a change-up. And so he was commenting that, to uh, sahadev and i know a lot of us have written about it as well but his ability to incorporate a, a successful change-up has a lot of profound results at least in, in my perspective because he's been exclusively a two-pitch guy fastball curveball that's how he made his career and he's been extremely successful doing that but as he gets older having that change up in my mind could be a huge boost for him and then for darvish he looks like amazing this spring and Throwing 97 miles per hour, uh, I think what, there was one recording saying he maxed out at 98, which is like music to my ears. And you can yeah, find that. I saw that
3: too. I was like, "Are you? See, this? Yeah. Year, that was like his first starts too." I was, yeah, I was, my mind was blown when I saw
0: that. I know. So like for like, that was a huge just endorphin boost for me for that day. But uh, to go with his like attitude and his his communication with the media and just his overall persona seems so much optimistic this year. So. I think if, if those two things didn't happen for me, uh, happen for me this spring training, I, I may be like a little concerned, but at least for the current moment, and I guarantee you in four days when they take the field, I am going to be scared mm. as all hell, but at least for the current moment, I'm feeling a little bit more than cautiously optimistic. I, I will say that the Darvish injury thing it, in the back of my head, it always scares me because you never know when that could, you know, bark again. Um, but with that being said, like, I don't I don't know. I, I look around and I see even some more depth in the farm system with Albert Alzole, and you could call upon maybe Duncan Robinson or Dwayne Underwood Jr. this year in case something happens. I'm seeing those guys take a little bit more steps. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm a little bit more happier than I was a month ago before spring training started.
2: Uh, yeah, he, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm... I've always, I think for the longest time, been kind of like, I envision this rotation having a high floor. As you guys said, if things go poorly, if you know guys like Lester and Hamels just don't have it anymore, or unforeseen circumstances, uh, of course, these things can happen. But I have been kind of banging that drum that I just love the idea of these being the five guys you throw out every day. I don't know what to necessarily expect for each of them, But I think that's when you can throw out, you know, as it stands right now, if Jose Quintana is your five and how it's been structured through the spring, I love that that is the worst, you know, quote unquote guy that you're throwing out there. I think that every day they're going to have a pitcher on the mound that is going to keep them in the game, give them a good start, give them a chance to win. And obviously, you know, things will fluctuate. Maybe some guys will be worse. Maybe some guys have really good, crazy seasons. Who knows? But I think as a Just general place to be going into the season. I'm fine with with where this group is. Uh, I I do think that I do want to mention, like, not that it really matters, but there's just something so beautiful about and funny to me about as we're having this conversation. I'm looking at the tweet from MLB.com's Jordan Bastian that. You Darvish, the first the first pitch of his minor league game today taken out for a home run, and it doesn't you know it doesn't matter um, as actually Brett of Bleacher Nation just pointed out on Twitter too like these guys you know these minor leaguers go up they sit dead red if they get it you know, they're going to get it. Use out there to do his work. But there's just something so beautiful about like being in the middle of a conversation about your expectations for a rotation and scrolling along and seeing, well, here's how this game started. Uh, love it. Baseball is, is is really beautiful in that way. But yeah, I, I think that... Um, again I I think it you know again sounds uh, like we're all kind of in agreement there nobody's necessarily expecting the world from this rotation but that there there is a, a good foundation there and that unless things uh, you know kind of drastically change for some of these guys uh, they, they they should be a solid group and you know maybe even with a little more potential than that so Brendan and I have talked a lot about the bullpen so maybe we'll we'll, we'll save that for our next episode we're, we're running pretty long here uh, and we Uh, still somehow do not really know exactly how this bullpen is going to shape out uh, when they break camp and and head to Texas. We're still kind of waiting on some exact word on those things. Like uh, I think Brendan mentioned earlier, again, Brian Dunsing, uh, DFA'd, waiting to kind of see the rest of how that transaction plays out. Uh, but he will not be in that opening day group. So there, there is some room there. We're still waiting to see where some of those guys are uh, with their injuries and, and, and working back to get ready here. So we'll see. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But before we let you go, Michael, the, the last thing I, I kind of want to look at is just kind of a, a, a general prediction for how you see this season going. And I, I never like to throw out like playoff or World Series predictions. I I, I think, you know, we've all learned in our lives that the baseball playoffs are tough to predict even a week out, uh, let alone before the season even starts. So I'm not necessarily going to ask you guys to do that. But given what we saw, you know, and in the context, obviously, of the moves that the rest of the NL Central made, obviously, Paul Goldschmidt now in the Cardinals fold for uh, the next several years here, the Brewers picking up Yasmani Grandal, we've we've heard them connected to Craig Kimbrel but we have not seen anything on that at least in the last few days but just given where you know and, and even the the Cincinnati Reds making moves too so given what we've seen uh this offseason from the rest of the NL Central and and how the the Cubs spring training and offseason has progressed what do you, how do you see this season going? Do you, do you see the Cubs as, as winning this division? Is it a a tight race up until the end, like it was in 2018? Are they able to create some distance? And if you had to pick a, a kind of team that, that concerns you the most, because Brendan and I have kind of debated this, uh, who, who is that team in the NL central that you think we really better hope that, you know, this team doesn't hit their 99th percentile outcome. Cause that should really scare us.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, despite being impressed, genuinely impressed with the Reds off season, I'm not, I think their offense, for example, I like, could be kind of great if, if the right things click and, um, I am just like I am always I think Joey Votto is like probably one of the greatest hitters of this generation and I just think that Yasiel Puig is an underrated offensive player and um whatever they're I'm blanking at the moment. They're top prospect center fielder. Um if he comes up and ends up being performing the way they think he can and Scooter Jeanette and but I still don't think I'm as afraid of the Reds um taking any big steps towards, you know, defeating the teams ahead of them and winning the division. I think the Pirates have a really great chance to have a really solid rotation. And also, like the Reds, I don't think that they're going to take that step forward. So, you know, big shock. It comes down to the Cardinals and Brewers. Um, if the Brewers don't end up getting Kimbrell and their rotation is without the guys that they're missing because of injury right now, Jimmy Nelson, Zach Davies, I think, is, is he, I can't remember, but I think he was, there was something about whether or not he was going to start in the rotation or the bullpen right out of the gate. And, um, if Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain don't repeat the offensive, you know their career offensive years they each had last season, I'm not necessarily as a, as afraid of them. And again, if they don't get Kimbrel and Corey Knebel is already hurt, I you know it's like suddenly you could see them turning from a 90, 92 win team to like an 85, 88 win team. So I think for me, um, it comes down to the Cardinals. They're the team that I'm most concerned with um, at the moment uh, they have some questions in their rotation too I think Carlos Martinez and Alex Reyes are both starting out in the bullpen um, and I think Adam Wainwright is in the rotation but is old and not I mean he's not who he was Like that's a, that's very clear and I think they're going to give way too many innings to Yadier Molina no matter how well he's doing um, or poorly is my point um, but I still think that they have the, the, the group of young arms that could completely surprise and uh, sort of sort of run a division um, if they all get healthy at some point early enough in the season. So I, I'm most afraid of the Cardinals. The Brewers are right up there. And again, if they get Kimbrel and or if Kane and Yelich repeat the sort of years they had, um, because Yatmane Grandal is a huge pickup for them, just absolutely perfect and so frustrating. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that I, I doubt... Kane and Yelich are as good as they were last year. And that's mm-hmm. not even an indictment on them. It's just, that's not something you could repeat. You know, that's, that's pretty hard to do. So, uh, so that's why I'm not quite as afraid. Um, I also don't think like their bullpen is going to be as just, you know, so severely terrifying as the Brewers bullpen was last year. But um, yeah, Cardinals, Cardinals are my pick. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there. Cause I'll just keep rambling. Cause this division scares the hell out of me. You could make an argument for every single team to be, you know, good enough to contend. Um, so it's splitting hairs, but St. Louis is the team to watch, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Michael. And just to add to your point about the Reds, like they, they, they do scare me as well because, yeah, they have... Ayuhanius Suarez as as Pat says and you have Vado and you have uh, Jesse Winker who I think you were talking about and they just have they do have a solid core of of offensive guys and their their pitching staff is a different issue but overall the NL Central is just it's it's a mammoth division all of a sudden you look around yeah. and even like the Pittsburgh's rotation like you're saying with Trevor like someone like Trevor Williams like they look they look good all of a sudden so overall if you had to make me pick which team I'm most concerned about, it would be the Cardinals. And for for Milwaukee, yes, like Kane and Yelich, it'd be difficult for them to repeat that year. And that bullpen with Kniebel and with Jeremy Jeffries having their issues this spring, you just don't know if even Josh Hader can repeat such a historical year. And those bullpens are always volatile in, in, in nature. So I think if I had to pick the cardinals with their of course Paul Goldschmidt extension and their foundation of potentially even a good bullpen and their offense it scares me but the way kind of <laughs> i see this cubs season going i i can't predict anything with confidence i really i really can't i i wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden they're going to be a 95 plus win team i think if i had to pick like i would put him around like the low 90s mid 90s to, to be quite honest like i don't see i'm having a hard time reconciling this offense not being a top five offense i just i just am like i think with chris bryant coming back and not having no shoulder injuries i think wilson Contreras, that was his complete floor last year i just don't see him repeating that and for javi he's not going to be maybe that 370 will guy but somewhere around 340 Still incredibly valuable, and Reza's going to be doing his thing. I think we're going to get some positive improvements from Schwarber. I just, I'm having a very difficult time seeing this offense not being at least a top five offense. I just, I just, I just am. And then for the the pitching, that's where it comes into question, right? It's like if they do end up hitting their age wall, so to speak, then you have some legitimate concerns. And then that bullpen. That does keep me up at night as well, um, and so it's just un unpredictable right now. But ultimately, I always come back as the offensive potential as my crutch. Like I really, I do believe in that. I do believe in their ability to adapt well. They've done so in the past, and that aberration last last year in in August and September may actually, in fact, have been an aberration. We don't we we, we don't know. We know they're made, They're making the the right moves to prevent that from happening again but that's that's my crush my crutch is that offense I think the veteran nature of this pitching rotation their ability to communicate with hotavi I am optimistic about that and for those reasons like yeah I, I do think the Cubs are the favorite I think they have the most pieces that could go right in this division I could see yeah, I, I could see by August them actually being, you know, ahead a decent amount. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if everything clicks, right? Like if the pitching clicks, if the offense clicks, like who's better than them in that division? So that's, that's where I'm at, at least.
2: That's fair. I, you know, I, it's gotta be like the last several seasons. I basically just come on here in the preseason and say they're going to win a hundred plus games, book it, take it to the bank. I'm ready to go. Um, I don't know if I, you know, this might be the first year where I'm like going to rein that in a little bit, but only a little bit. Like I, I don't. I'm not going to throw out a win projection, but I just I I, I believe in this group. I, I believe in them. You know, as an organization, top down, and until I'm given reason to really think otherwise, uh, I'm always going to go into these seasons expecting that and and you know it it is it does kind of mirror how I look at like John Lester and we've talked about him a lot um after you know not a really good spring and I you know we've gone through all the concerns and all the the different you know issues that have come up this off season and spring training and I feel the same way like I just trust this group I trust this core and i 'll believe otherwise when I see it, but for now i 'm i 'm ready to put them in at the top of the n l central uh, but yeah i'm gonna, i, I won 't say they 'll win over a hundred games that that 'll be me kind of like trying to reserve myself a little bit but I think that's all we have for you. So uh, I I do, again, want to thank Michael for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have these conversations. We, we got good feedback a, a year ago that you guys enjoyed uh, us having him on. And, and for Brendan and I, it's uh, a very good conversation. So we uh, thank you, Michael, for that. Again, you can follow uh, Bleacher Nation, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can... Uh, Michael didn't want you necessarily to follow him, uh, in jest. It's reverse
3: psychology. It's going to work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Do not not, follow him. Don't send me money.
3: Don't, don't buy me a car. (laughs) Don't do any of those things. Yeah.
2: (laughs) At Michael underscore Cerami. Do not follow him. Uh, but really you do need to. His content is great. That, uh, that video you edited with the St. Louis hashtag to boring the other I day that was, was real. like, wow, <laughs> top knock. That was crazy. Oh, man.
3: I was, I was laughing for like 30 minutes straight while I was making it. I was just, yeah. I was just giggling to myself like, this is going to be good.
2: That's the best kind of content. I, I say that to Brendan sometimes. I rarely have a good idea. But when I do, I'll send him like, dude, I'm cracking myself up over here. I don't know if people are going to like this. I don't know, but I really like it. I'm having a great time over here. Um, So yeah, and obviously visit Bleacher Nation. uh, They do Bears coverage as well. And I have seen the rumblings, Michael, that if you are a Bulls fan, you can expect that as well. So make sure you are in on all of the Bleacher Nation content in activity. They are the best in the business. So Michael, thank you once again. Pleasure having you. And uh, we're looking forward to a good season here.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun. Um, I would love to, do, I want to do it again. Anytime you guys want to have a talk, let's do it. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good year.
2: Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Michael. So uh, for everyone else, we thank you guys for listening. As always, we will talk to you one more time before we get things going on Thursday. Once again, Thursday, March 28th, it is John Lester, Mike Minor, the Chicago Cubs, and Texas Rangers. As always, we thank you guys for listening And whether we are wrapping up spring training or they are getting ready to play in Texas, go Cubs.